service. We officially uh, start this year. I know we had a service last week, but uh, this is our start of our, our sermon series, our start of our term, start of all our different ministries. And uh, I don't know about you, um, but I'm so thankful that we are able to gather. I'm thankful that we are able to get here and live with a, an excitement and maybe even a hope for what lies ahead for us this year. Maybe there's some of you sitting here that said, 2024, that's going to be my year. This is going to be the year that I'm going to see this and that happen in my life. This is going to be the year that I'm going to lose 20 kilograms. That's not mine, but maybe that's yours. Okay. This is the year where I'm going to see that promotion, or this is the year that X, Y, Z. Maybe there's some of you that sit here this morning, and you already know some of the challenges that lies ahead in 2024. And instead of excitement, there's this nervousness. The great joy that we have is regardless of what lies ahead, God is already there. And that what we don't know in this moment, God has already seen. And our hope is not knowing what lies ahead and how do we prepare for that, but it's knowing that God is there in the good and in the challenging. And as we start this year with the sermon series set apart, it is to remind ourselves of who is this God that is already part of our lives, is already part of the future, and how do we respond and live towards Him regardless of what we're going through. So instead, I want to challenge us this morning, may we not have a view, 2024 is going to be this and that year, but may we be willing to say 2024 is going to be the year that I'm going to glorify God regardless of what I go through. And when I do that, I will see something of His will and His purpose in my life. That's the idea behind Set Apart, a biblical view of holiness. Now you heard Pastor Steve share in the beginning of uh, our, our service this morning that once a year around the world, all our every nation churches gather in a sense in unity and we preach on the same theme and we set aside a time of prayer and fasting. And this is the season. If you've been part of every nation for a while, you would know this is something that's really exciting. We love not fasting, but we love what happens. <laughs> When we fast together, we love every year when we do these series. There's something of faith that's being imparted in us. It's something of how we unite with what God has called us to do. And, and we're really excited to speak on holiness, a biblical view on holiness. That's what Set Apart is all about. Unfortunately, this concept of holiness is often used as a derogative term for someone who is judgmental or thinks they're better than others. Maybe you've heard other people say it. Doubt that any one of you have said it before. But maybe you've heard other people say, oh, they are so holy. They think they are so holy. We tend to use holiness in modern society as a derogative term. But we need to ask ourselves, what does holiness mean? Is holiness important to God? Should and can we live holy lives? And how do we live holy lives? If this is something that God requires of us, how do we do it? And that's what we're going to explore through this series. So I want to ask, let's pray 
as we're going to look at God's word this morning. So Father God, in this moment, we don't just want to acknowledge you as a holy God, but we also want to align our lives to that what you've called us to. And therefore, as we start in this series, Lord, and specifically this morning, I pray that you would guide us in your truth, that you would eliminate your word in such a way that we'll find understanding to your will and your nature. And Lord, that you would guide us and help us to be the people that you've called us to be, that you would help us to live in such a way that you are glorified. And Lord, may you give us a greater understanding of holiness. May you help us to live lives that are holy and that honors you. And Lord, specific this morning, we pray for your word. As we submit ourselves unto your word, may you come through your spirit, make it alive and active in us. May you reveal your truth. May you guide us against our own understanding and the lies that we might believe. And may you lead us into that what you want to do. We pray it in your wonderful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, before I continue with the sermon, there's something I forgot, and it's probably not a great start for the year, but it's also our first um, morning where we're starting with our kids' church. So those who are for the first time in our World Changers group, that means you're grade seven this year. It's a special group. Um, if they haven't left the building yet, I want to ask that you just quickly go outside. There's some of our um, facilitators this morning. That's for all the grade sevens as part of World Changers. And for those of you who are visiting us this morning, my name is Jonathan. And thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, trust that you'll experience something of God with us this morning. Okay. What we know and think about something determines how we respond and value towards it. What you know, think, and believe about something determines how you value and respond towards it. I'm going to explain it by using a couple of props this morning. I brought with me, um, firstly, a couple of golf balls. Not just any golf balls. This is Titleist Pro V1 golf balls. Anybody know what I'm holding here? Harry says no. John says I'll take it. Yes, Bertus, you understand. Um, for those of you who don't understand golf or haven't played golf a lot, this is just three golf balls. But for those who are a bit familiar with golf, the word Titleist Pro V1 says something. You recognize that it's um, not the cheapest golf balls that I'm holding in my hand. You'll go like John, I'll take it. If you know nothing about golf and I give you this as a gift, you would go, oh, that's nice. <laughs> when I was 21, a friend of mine gave me a, a box like this. And I remember as a student, uh, I could definitely not afford Titleist Pro V1s. I kept that box of golf balls for five years in my cupboard that I didn't play with it just because I was, it was so valuable. What you know and understand about something determines how you respond towards it. For someone, it's just golf balls. For someone else, it's valuable. I also brought this uh, Noritake tea uh, pot. Okay. Who knows what's Noritake? Okay, there's a couple of people. Okay. 
I'll be honest, before I married Lindre, I had no idea something like this existed. I grew up in front of Bell Park. I don't think Noritake is maybe part of sushi there. Um, but uh, apparently, there's some value behind this. Apparently, there's something significant about Noritake tea sets. Many of you have got a set like this that has been passed down from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. And this set is so valuable that it's locked in a cupboard somewhere in your house where nobody knows about it and you never use it just in case it gets broken. And someday, someone will get it from you and they will do the same thing. If you know nothing about Noritake, you would go, hey, can I use this teapot? You might swing it around the way I'm doing it now. And I see my wife is very nervous. What you know and understand about something determines how you value and respond to it. Would you mind putting up the next picture, please, Paul? Who knows what's this painting? Some of us go, oh, that's Van Gogh, Starry Night. If you know something about art, you'll go, there's something significant, and you'll, you'll speak on the intricacy of this painting and all the different things that's going on. I'm not going to try and attempt to do that. If you don't know anything about it and you didn't know that it was a valuable painting, you would go, what? Starry Night, you can't even see the stars. But what you know and understand about this painting determines how you value and respond to it. Last picture. We've seen this craze lately. Who knows what's happening with this Stanley Cup? It's massive. Everybody is trying to buy this type of Stanley Club, Cup uh, in, um, in regardless of what it costs. If you don't know the story, there was a, recently a video that went viral on the internet. A car that was um, in flames, it burned out. And what was left was this uh, cup like that, a Stanley Cup like that. Burnt, but not deformed. It survived the fire. And when they opened up the cup, that what was inside was still cold. Had a massive explosion on the internet. Stanley sales increased and everybody that's hip and cool now has a Stanley cup that you drink out with a straw. In a year from now, this very expensive mug might mean nothing. But what you know and understand and believe about something will determine how you respond to it. If you believe that this cup will withstand no amount of heat. It will survive anything. And it will quench your thirst no matter what. You will pay whatever is needed to have one. What you think and believe about something determines how you respond and value. And it's the same with God. What you think and believe about God determines how you value and respond to God. So as we start this year, what do you think about when you think about God? 
And let's not answer the question quickly. Can you take a moment to think, when I think about God, what comes to mind? If someone were to walk into this venue this morning and walk right up to you and ask you, hey, Peter, who is God? What would you say? Hey, Michelle, tell me about this God that you're speaking about. What would you say? What do you think and believe about God? Because that determines how you respond to him, how you value him. So the next question would be, how is that belief about God reflected in your life? How is that what you believe about God reflected in the way that you live in? Because the way that you view, believe something is the way that you respond to it. So if you look at your life, how is it reflecting that what you're believing about God? This morning we're going to look at a specific psalm, Psalm 96. And in this psalm we see an example of how people should respond to what we believe about God. This is one of the examples that we see in the Bible of how we respond to a conviction about God. What makes this psalm significant is this is a psalm that was sang once the Ark of the Covenant. Now, that was the symbol of God's presence was brought back to Israel. This was one of the songs that they sang out of worship. You also find this psalm in 1 Chronicles 16 if you want to go and read about it. But this song is a plea towards the people of God. It calls the people of God to worship God in response to who He is and what He has done. So this song, in a sense, is, if this is what you believe about God, this is how it should reflect in your life. If this is what you think and value about God, this is how it should play out in your life. Let's read together. Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all people. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord all your families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. What a powerful psalm. If you know something about the Bible, if you know something about psalms, you would know that this is, this is it's poetry. It's a song. There's certain things that is conveyed through the, the, the beauty of words that we should interpret and apply to our lives. This is not a, a literal description of how we should respond. But it paints a picture of what the psalmist believes about God and how he believes we should respond to God. Look at the words that he uses to describe God. Think about the painting. He's painting a picture 
of God through his words. He says, he uses words like majestic and glorious. Thought about this, thinking about this sermon this morning. When would you say something is glorious and majestic? Sunrise. What would be something else that we call majestic and glorious? Mountains. It's those things that's just far greater. It's beautiful. It's difficult to explain. Seeing a massive lion walking in the savannah. Something majestic about it. These are the words that the psalmist uses to describe God. It's not just God is beautiful. It's not just God is this. It says God is majestic and glorious. He's says almighty. He's not like any other idols. He's not like any other gods. He's not like any other things that we follow in this world. It's not like any other things that we turn to for, for, for salvation or turn to for security or significance. He is far greater. He's almighty, meaning there's nothing impossible for him. There's no limit to his power. He says he is the creator. And if he's the creator, he created out of nothing. And it means he's above all, he's before all, nothing created him. If he's the creator, then he's the owner of everything and the rightful ruler. He's above all. There's nothing like him. And he is great. His greatness is seen in what he's already done. The psalmist reflects over that, what God has already done for Israel. He reflects over God's creation and says, God is great. Remember at this stage when the psalmist written, it's not that Israel has never gone through difficulty. It's not, gone, it's that, not that they're not facing the effects of sin in this world. It's regardless of those things. He looks at what God has already done. He looks at creation and says, God is great. Majestic and glorious, almighty creator, above all, great. What the psalmist is doing is painting a picture of God's holiness. God is holy. This is the primary attribute of God. This is what makes God, God. He is holy. And holy is the one word that, would use, that we use to describe everything that the psalmist is trying to describe. God is holy. Meaning, there is nothing and no one like God. We should be careful when we call something holy. So holiness means there's nothing like it. There's nothing and no one like God. He is uniquely different. He cannot be compared to anything or anyone. He is before all and above all. He is unmatched in power and character. Can we think of a moment? God is unmatched in power and character. There's nothing and no one close to him. He is absolute goodness. That's holiness. There is no sin or evil found in him. He is morally pure, blameless, perfect, complete, and without defect. 
meaning he's totally trustworthy. Glory and majesty goes before him. He is holy. God is holy. And he can never be reduced to something less. He's self-defined. We don't define God. He is holy. And if this is what we believe about God, the psalmist is saying, if this is what us, we, we believe about God, then God's holiness demands a response from us. He cannot be this holy God and we cannot experience His greatness and it doesn't move us towards an action. His holiness demands a response. And this is what the psalmist says. This is how we respond to the holiness of God. And he uses specific words. He says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise His name. Those of you who are nervous that I'm trying to say that every morning you should wake up and sing. That's not what I believe the psalmist is trying to convey here. What is meant with sing to the Lord? See, singing is one of the primary ways that we worship God. That's why when we gather as a church, we sing. It's our worship unto God. What the psalmist is saying is if God is holy, His holiness demands worship. Through our singing, our worship, it is when we give Him praise, when we acknowledge these attributes of God, when we acknowledge there's no one like you, you are above all, you are almighty, nothing is impossible, you are love, you are great. It's giving God praise. It's to honor Him. It's to thank Him. It's to live in thankfulness towards Him. It's to worship Him by confessing what we believe about Him. See, through our singing, our worship, we intentionally put our focus away from ourselves and the things of the world that might consume us and put our focus on God. That's what worship's about. It's moving beyond ourselves and beyond the things of the world and put our focus on God. If God is holy, His holiness demands worship from us. We are to praise Him. We are to glorify Him. We are to honor Him. We are to live in thanksgiving towards Him. We are to acknowledge who He is. Worship is the natural response to God's holiness. The second thing that the psalmist says is it's not just worship unto God. The psalmist says, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds amongst all people. Proclaim and declare. Who would agree? Most people on earth speak and share about the things that they're passionate about. If someone is really passionate about something, they'll tell you about it. 
It's the most natural thing whenever we gather and we have a bride and we gather together that someone would go, hey, have you seen? Have you seen the Beckham documentary? It is fantastic. Oh, we binge watched it. I couldn't stop watching it. You know, there's so many things in there, so many character things. I want my children to watch it. You just, people just share it. I'm not saying they should do that. I'm just sharing. It's the most natural thing to speak about the things that we're passionate about. People share the things that excites them. A true fan of something will always try to convince you why you should be part of them. That's why I'm trying to get Harry to enjoy soccer. <laughs> I believe it's going to be good for him. He's going to have something to shout about. But a fan of something will always try and convince you that it will be better to be part of what they are supporting. If God is holy and there's nothing and no one like him, the most natural outflow of our lives should be that we should speak about him. Proclaim and declare. If he's really good, if he's really awesome, if he's really unmatched in character and power, why should we not speak about him? Why should we not be fans of him? Why should we not want others to experience him? If God is holy and great, and if, if he's the epicenter, not just of the universe, but of my life, how should I not share it? And what the psalmist says, if God is holy, then speak about God. Declare what he has done. Testify about him. Share about him. And be a witness of his holiness. believe the world will not change just by demonstrating a different character. The world will change by demonstrating a different character that aligns with the words that we're saying. Church has a voice in this world. And that voice should not be about the church, but about God. If God is holy, we should proclaim it. We should speak about it. The third thing that the psalmist says, ascribe to the Lord, all your families of nation, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, bring an offering and come into his court. So yes, there's singing, there's a, a worship unto God, there is a proclamation of who God is, but then there's a very practical side to God's holiness. If he is holy, we should ascribe, and ascribe says Give. There's something that we give because of His holiness. There's something that we give out of honor for His holiness. Ascribe. Give God glory through the way that you live. And what can we give God? If He's holy and God doesn't need anything, as if He's complete, what do we give Him? Some of you struggle to give a gift for your spouse this Christmas because they're already complete. What do they need? It was tough for Lindry, but 
If God is holy and there's nothing that he needs, what can we give him? What can we ascribe to him? I want to suggest this morning that we, the first thing that you can give God is your heart. What does it mean to give God your heart? It's to choose to trust him. It's to choose to trust him, to seek his will, and to obey his ways. God, you have my heart. Choose to trust you. Choose to seek you, to follow your will and obey your ways. It's something that I give to you, not because I must, but because you are holy. What can we give God? Our time. You can give God time. Spend time with him. Spend time in his presence. Spend time in his word. Spend time with his people. Commit to being in relationships with the people of God. Spend time by committing to gather whenever we gather as a church. Not because it's important that we fill the seats, but it's important that when we gather, we worship God. And it's for him. It's not about us. But you can give God your time. God is glorified when his people come together and make a big thing about him. There's something when we say, my time is not my time. It's your time. Coming to church matters. Because it's not about us, it's about God. I want to suggest that you can give God your gifts and your talents. God has graced you with certain abilities, certain gifts and talents. You can use it for his glory. You can serve others. You can serve people and in such a way glorify God. Give God your gifts and your talents. Very practically, give God some of your wealth. Why would I say money? Because money has this ability to capture our hearts and to define our lives. Whether we like it or not, money can rule our hearts. God is very clear. He is our provider. And in our giving financially towards God, in our offering, we're saying, God, I trust you. You are my provider. You are holy. Scribe. Give to God. The psalmist doesn't just say give God. He says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. What you believe about God will determine how you respond towards God. Your belief about God is seen in the way that we live. You are to give God the honor that you think he deserves. See, the way we live, our personal holiness is grounded in what we believe about the holiness of God. The way we live 
is absolutely determined about what we believe about the holiness of God. This is the foundation of the series. And we're going to continue to speak on how do we live out holiness. But we need to understand, if we neglect the holiness of God, we can never live holy lives. What we believe about God will determine how we live. So how is the scripture applicable to us today? Because there's a part of the scripture that we hear and we have to go and proclaim God. We have to go and share about Him. We have to worship Him and we have to give something towards God. And those things are true. I am going to encourage you in the end to do it. But how is the scripture applicable to us today? Verse 9 of Psalm says, Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him, all the earth. All the earth. Not just some. Not just an elect few. But God wants all the earth to worship in His holiness. Includes all of us. And I love this phrase of the psalmist. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. See, when we focus on the holiness of God, we should recognize that He is uniquely different because He's holy and therefore our lives need to look differently. We cannot live normal, nominal lives because God is holy. When we focus and reflect on the holiness of God, it leads us to a place that says, if this is my God, then surely my life should look differently. It should reflect something of God. That's why Peter writes to the church in the New Testament and he says, but just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. May holiness not be a derogative term, but a great reward for us. May we hear people say, they are so holy because our God is holy. Focusing on the holiness of God, worshiping in the splendor of His holiness should bring conviction to our hearts that our lives need to look differently. It needs to reflect something of God. The second thing is when we look and focus on the holiness of God and the worship that His holiness deserves, we must recognize that all of us have in some way or another failed to worship God adequately. Worship Him in the splendor of His holiness. All of us have failed to do this adequately. And the problem is, when we fail to worship God, it doesn't mean that we're not worshiping anything. It doesn't mean that we're worshiping nothing. When we fail to worship God, we'll worship anything. See, when we fail to give God the worship that He deserves because of His holiness, we don't cease the worship. Our worship just shifts and we'll worship anything. 
We were made to worship. And we turn to modern day idols, the things that we think will give our lives meaning and purpose and significance and joy. And we give our lives, we give our time and our talents towards these things. And we worship idols of the world. And Psalmist says these idols are worthless in view of God's holiness. And we cease to worship God. We don't worship nothing, we worship anything. And very often, we become the idols of our worship. Where our lives becomes all about us, and everything we do is for me, and for my glory, and according to my will, and for my purposes. That's the root of our sin. It's pride. Focusing on the holiness of God exposes the pride in our hearts. Thirdly, the holiness of God should invoke in us a fear and reverence and respect towards God. It says, in the splendor of His holiness, tremble before Him. God is holy. There's no one and nothing like Him. He's unmatched. Because He is God, we are not. And we shouldn't become familiar with God. We shouldn't play with God. I spoke about this majestic lion walking in the savannah. None of us would walk up and grab that lion by its tail. But when we become familiar with the holiness of God, we cease to give Him the respect and worship that is due. To tremble before the Lord is not a bad thing. We should have a reverence and awe for the holiness of God. The Bible has so many examples of well, where people had a brief encounter with the holiness of God and that, that encounter made them go, woe to me, I need to die. There's something about the holiness of God that we should hold up in reverence and fear because He's God and we're not. what it means to worship God in the splendor of His holiness. See, when we look at the holiness of God, not only do we see that we are not able to live lives that we're supposed to live that glorifies Him, that we're not giving Him the worship that He deserves, that the pride of our hearts has made us familiar with God, we also see the mercy of God in His holiness. Because in spite of our lack of honoring Him and worshiping Him the way that He deserves and the pride of our hearts, God, this holy God, still goes, I love you. I'm not going to reject you. I'm not going to leave you. And this holy God 
and His loving kindness finds a way to deal with our sins. Because if He doesn't deal with sin, He ceases to be holy. If He allows any unfairness, unrighteousness to exist, then He ceases to be holy. He finds a way to deal with the sin of this world in order that we may still experience this holy God. That in order that He doesn't just wipe us off the, this earth, the face of the earth. In order that He doesn't deal with us according to the way that our sin deserves. He finds a way and He sends His Son, who was without blemish, without fault, who absolutely honored and worshipped the Father. And the Son was willing to die for the sins of this world, to take the punishment of the sins of this world. So that God, who is holy, may deal in a holy way with sin. And because of Jesus, we may worship God in the splendor of his holiness. Not fearing the judgment. Not fearing what God might do with us. Not fearing that God might reject us. Because of our faith. But with the confidence that there is a holy infinite, unmatched God that stoops down and loves you. That stoops down and invites you into his presence. His holiness draws us near. For a moment, can we ponder on the privilege of not just knowing about a holy God, but knowing a holy God. And if we choose to put our faith and our trust in the finished work of Christ, we may experience this holy God. See, the way we live our lives, our personal holiness is grounded and what we believe about the holiness of God. The way we respond to what Jesus has done is grounded in what we believe about the holiness of God and what we deserve because of His holiness. So how can we respond? Out of reverence and thanksgiving for what Jesus has already done, We've seen the greatness of God through what he's done through his son. We see the greatness of God in what he has done in the world. We may worship him in the splendor of his holiness. We have a right to know this God and experience this God because of Jesus. And in a very practical way, we may sing, declare, and ascribe to God that what he deserves. How? For this week, may you start every day worshiping Jesus, worshiping God. Very practical way. Every morning this week, may you stand up and just thank God. Just praise Him for something. If you have nothing to praise Him, just say, God, you are holy and you are God and I am not. And I worship you. See what happens in your heart when you worship God in splendor of His holiness. Declare, share something about God with someone this week. Just try it. 
if you if you really if you're really nervous to speak about God, exercise it on your family members. Just share with your wife, share with your husband, share with your kids something about God. Just testify and ascribe. Ask God, God, what, is, what can I give you? Some of us this morning, God is saying, I want you to give me your heart. You've been hearing about how I've made a way for you to experience me. You've been hearing of how I've dealt with sin, but you've never really given me your heart. Trust me. Some of us, we've known God for years, but we've become familiar with His holiness. And God has been calling you and asking you to give something specific, whether it's serving, whether it's some of your time, whether it's, it's tithing. But we sort of become familiar with His holiness. Maybe in humility go, God, what can I give you? And if we do this, our lives will start to reflect something of the holiness of God because He is holy. As we continue this series, this is the foundation from where we live. Our personal holiness is grounded in what we believe about the holiness of God. We respond and value in line with what we believe. Let's pray. As we conclude this morning, I want to give an opportunity just for personal prayer. And would you do those three things? Would you worship God in this moment? Just thank Him for who He is. Would you ask God, God, is there someone that I can speak to? Is there someone that I can share something about? Would you ask God, is there something that I can give? And give you a moment just to ponder on those three things. God, we thank you this morning that we may know you in your holiness, that where you may encounter you and experience you, Lord. And Lord, we pray that as we continue with this series, as we continue to speak on your holiness and how that we live holy, Lord, that we'll grow in our understanding of your holiness, that we'll experience you more in a greater way. 
We thank you this morning, Lord, that you've given us the privilege not just to know you, but to worship you in the splendor of your holiness. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to live in a way that honors you. I pray that this morning that you would see the desire of our hearts, Lord, and that you would help us, especially in this coming week, Lord, that we'll worship you adequately. That you would give us the words and the courage and the opportunity to share about who you are. Open up a door, Lord, for us to speak and declare something of your holiness. But Lord, also help us to give that what you require of us. Pray that you would clearly speak to each one of us, Lord. Help us to give you the glory that is due your name. And Lord, this morning I pray specifically for those of us who who know about your holiness, but there's something in our hearts that's lacking, a conviction and a belief, Lord. I pray that by your mercy that you would continue to reveal yourself to us, that you would continue to lead us, But Lord, may you also help us to respond to you in a way that honors you. Because you are worthy. You alone are holy, Lord. There's no one and nothing like you. Lord, would you forgive us for where we fall short in giving you the honor and the glory that's due your name. But Lord, also give us the grace not just to continue to not give you honor and glory, but enable us to trust you thoroughly, to seek you sincerely, and to obey you in earnestly. Because you are worthy. And we love you. We pray this because of your holiness and everything that you deserve. May you be glorified through our lives, Lord. Amen.